Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production. The simple solution for physical medicine and rehabilitation healthcare professionals trying to keep up while on the go. I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Burrow, physiatrist in PM&R at Mayo Clinic. Currently, 210,000 physical therapists practice in the United States. Physical therapy is the cornerstone of the rehabilitation team. Interesting, the founder of rehabilitation here at the Mayo Clinic, Dr. Frank Cruzen, was initially appointed the first director of physical therapy in 1935. Over the last decade, this profession of physical therapy has undergone a vast array of changes. Today, we're joined by Dr. John Holman, a colleague at the Mayo Clinic and current director of the physical therapy program here at Mayo Clinic. Thanks for joining us today, John. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So I know physical therapy has undergone a great deal of change over the last decade, two decades. So what are the current educational requirements for physical therapy? Yeah, good question. So uh, currently, all physical therapy programs in the United States award the Doctor of Physical Therapy degree, or or DPT degree. Um, Most commonly, uh, earning the DPT degree will require three years of of post-baccalaureate study. So a typical uh, physical therapy program uh, consists approximately of, of two years of didactic coursework and then one year or up to one year of, of clinical experiences. The, uh, the didactic coursework will typically include foundational science coursework in anatomy, neuroscience, physiology, biomechanics, pathology, pharmacology, and other ologies. Um, <laughs> but, but then programs will also include clinical science coursework. And that clinical science coursework is really intended uh, to help the student apply the foundational knowledge that they have uh, to become a clinician and to apply that to clinical decision-making skills and patient management skills. So that would represent didactic coursework. And then the clinical coursework or clinical uh, experiences typically occur in year three. And that will include some combination of acute care uh, hospital-based experiences, neurorehabilitation experiences, and outpatient orthopedic or musculoskeletal type of practice settings. So I also understand that you have residencies and fellowships. What areas are those in? So residencies and, and fellowships are a growing area of, of education or preparation for physical therapists. Uh, at the present time, residencies and fellowships are not required, so they are optional, additional Uh, learning experiences for somebody after earning their initial licensure uh, for for physical therapy practice. So the uh, types of of, uh, residencies available would include um, orthopedic practice, sports medicine practice, neurologic practice, pediatric practice, geriatric practice. So typically a student who goes on to do a residency, it will be a one-year residency training program that provides additional didactic experiences uh, and and directed mentoring uh, to become a specialist in that area of practice. Fantastic. Recently I read that physical therapists have direct access in all 50 states. What does that mean? Uh, So direct access uh, simply means that a patient or a client may access the services of a physical therapist without the referral or order from a physician. 
When would a physical therapist refer to a physician? So a physical therapist would then refer a patient to a physician if they, uh, for example, uncover red flags during their exam uh, that might suggest, hey, uh, there's something about this patient that is beyond the scope of, of what I'm prepared to cover, or I believe something is... Um, maybe causing their signs and symptoms that are of a non-musculoskeletal origin. So we would recognize those red flags and then refer appropriately. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME, offering on-demand medical education and a wide variety of specialties. This includes the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Online Board Review Course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.edu slash online. You know, we always talk about exercise as a medicine. What type of strategies do you recommend to get the patients to do their exercise. You know, as a, as a physician, we're prescribing therapy and the patients are getting exercise. And sometimes they come back and they're very honest. They're like, doc, I don't have, you know, three hours to do my exactly. exercise. Exactly. Well, that is a good question. And if I had the absolute answer to that <laughs> question, uh, I, I, I would be doing something somewhere that would probably be making me a lot of money. So so obviously that that is a challenge. So in, in general, some of the... Um, principles that that I try to teach our, our students to, to think about. Uh, one is to stick to the KISS principle, K-I-S-S. So let's let's keep our instructions, keep it short and, and simple. So what, what might that look like? Well, it could mean uh, that we start an exercise program by identifying just a, a few key uh, exercises that that individual can manage and perfect uh, before we progress that particular program uh, beyond an initial three or four uh, exercises. So part of the KISS principle from my standpoint is really to identify um, the fewest and simplest exercises that we can do, but those in which the patient experiences a benefit from. And, and so that becomes part of our, our challenge. Um, an, another approach that, that we can use is to be selective with some of the words that we use. And, and so an example, for many individuals, when they hear the word exercise, they become intimidated uh, by that word. If we simply replace that word exercise with physical activity or movement, that may sound like something more attainable for, for that individual to do. Um, and, and then, so those are two strategies that, that uh, uh, we tend to use. Um, more formally, uh, the CDC does recommend a five-step approach to enhancing adherence uh, with, with exercise. And, and, and one of those is, is as a clinician, uh, we need to walk the talk. In other words, we should be a role model uh, for our patients. The second step in that process is really to assess how active the patient is at that point in time, because if we don't know what their baseline activity is, we don't know where they're at 
it, it becomes more challenging to make a recommendation that might be too far down the road for, for that individual. Sure. Uh, step three, we need to screen for safety. Uh, for example, screening for cardiovascular risk, fact, uh, risk factors uh, that, that might um, uh, impair their ability to exercise safely. So we have to screen. Uh, fourth, and, and, and this can become challenging, but it really is assessing that patient's readiness for change. And there are different models of, of readiness for change out there, but, but that's recommend, recommended. And then uh, once we know their readiness for stage, then it becomes a matter of prescribing in a way that meets not only our goals as a provider, but it also meets the patient's goals so it has to be a mutually agreed upon set of recommendations so so th that's a long-winded response but but uh, some of the less official and more official things that we try to do to enhance adherence those are great recommendations and, and that's one of the things that you know we struggle with is creating a lifestyle change right. you know we just don't want them to exercise why they're overcoming xyz affliction you know, this, this, this is a lifestyle change, and that, that I agree. If we could come up with a way to do that, right, we'd, right. we'd probably still be in Rochester, Minnesota. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so physical therapy is more than just exercise. You know, what are some of the new physical agents that you, uh, physical therapists employ? Yeah, so uh, there are a variety of, of physical agents out there. Some of the newer ones uh, or, or, or developing uh, low-level low laser therapy and, and light therapy, uh, spinal cord stimulation, uh, both in pain rehab, uh, but also to induce motor responses in, in people with spinal cord injury. Uh, there are individuals who, who are exploring repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation and stroke rehabilitation. That would be an area that's in its infancy. Uh, electrical stimulation to promote tissue regeneration. Uh, so that would primarily be used in regenerative uh, rehabilitation practices, for example, following stem cell therapies. Uh, I have seen people using cryo chambers for total, bo total body cooling. Uh, usually that's in the professional athlete mm -hmm. arena and, and things like that, but certainly that's out there. Uh, and dry needling would be another example of, of a, a newly developing physical agent that that uh, is used in practice. Can you tell me a little bit more about dry needling? Dry needling. What is that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so dry needling is primarily used for treating uh, muscular or myofascial trigger points. So a, a therapist will use a thin uh, monofilament needle to, to penetrate through the skin and then to affect the target area, which in this case would be the, the trigger point. Um, some people refer to dry needling uh, simply as another form of instrument-assisted soft tissue mobilization. It's just that it happens to be through the skin, not on the skin. Uh, dry needling typically would not be something that is done in isolation or as a standalone treatment. It's going to be done in combination with other therapy procedures. Uh, be that therapeutic exercise, strengthening range of motion, neuromuscular re-education. Uh, so it, it's, it's simply another tool uh, in the proverbial tool belt that physical therapists may have. Thanks, John. We've been talking about physical therapy with Dr. John Holman, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and the director of the physical therapy program here. Thanks again, John. You are welcome.
Are you a physiatrist preparing for your upcoming PM&R Part 2 oral boards? Do you need to brush up on your examination skills? Through a combination of didactic lecture, case vignettes, optional mock oral examinations, and online modules, the PM&R Board Review course can help guide your preparation. This vital course will be held on the historic Mayo Clinic campus in downtown Rochester, Minnesota every spring just prior to the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation oral examinations. For complete course information and to receive an email when registration is open, visit ce.mayo.edu slash PMR. Thank you.